Welcome to the Missions Podcast, the show that explores your hard questions on missions, theology, and practice to help goers think and thinkers go. I'm Alex Kochman, Director of Advancement and Mobilization for ABWE, joined by Scott Dunford, Lead Church Planter for Redeemer Church in Fremont, California, and West Coast Mobilizer for ABWE. Scott, I'm uh, I'm a little bit out of sorts today, I'm not going to lie. Been home, moving in, getting settled in, packed in a little bit, and so I'm technically off today, but it doesn't feel like a day off. How are things out on the West Coast? Man, it is my day off and it's been going great. And you know, the truth is when you're stumbling over your words, I'm actually kind of excited about this episode because, you know, usually when we make mistakes, that is, uh, that's, that's prime listening. (laughs) (laughs) Oh yes. That's what everyone wants to hear is us stammering over our own words. (laughs) Well, and further it's, uh, it's my wife's birthday today and I'm home off work. So naturally there's nothing that I'd rather be doing and that Hannah would rather me be doing than recording a podcast episode. Well, I, I think that our guest today will reward us both. Uh, we both are <laughs> friends with uh, Dr. Charles Ware and very grateful to know him. Uh, he, we, we got to know him, first of all, through, AB, at least for me, through ABWE, as he served on our board through some, through some very challenging times and, and got to work really closely with him and see uh, his love for Christ and his wisdom in that. Uh, he served on other boards as well, Association for B- Biblical Higher Education, Anchors Way, and the Biblical Counseling Coalition. He's also the president emeritus of Crossroads Bible College, a well-sought-after speaker, speaks at many venues, serves a consultant on racial reconciliation and leadership, and also is an author. And I encourage you to pick up this book, One Race, One Blood. Uh, previously, it was titled Darwin's Plantation, Evolution's Racist Roots, which I, I kind of like that title as well but uh also yeah, I like that title that kind of gets you going it does get us going but anyway enough of that we're really glad to have dr ware joining us so charles thank you for joining us on the show and uh thank you so much for your time can you just tell us a little bit about your story and your background as that's going to be important to what we're talking about today but also uh lead that into telling, telling us a little bit about your involvement in missions and abwe particularly yeah, you know, it's exciting to be with you, um, Scott and Alex, and, and on this great day of Hannah's birthday, I uh, wish you well. You guys are stumbling. This 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 subject makes you stumble sometimes. Oh, indeed. <laughs> but, uh, but it's great for God's people. I'm going to just give you just a, a brief um, a, a deal on my, my background. I got saved in 1968. That's the year Martin Luther King Jr. was assassinated. Robert Kennedy was assassinated. There was great racial uh, unrest uh, in our country, and especially our cities. And I was in a school, uh, kind of a small town school, predominantly white. Um, uh, you know, I think it might be about 90 something percent white, but I served on the student council as a freshman, was president of my class as a sophomore, vice president of student council as a junior and president of the student council as a senior. And two white men came to my house on a Monday night and uh, led me to saving faith in Jesus Christ. Hmm. And, and I was the first black person to get baptized into the church there. And my mother said, boy, you look like a fly on a bowl of milk. And, uh, <laughs> I said, mom, I'm just a drop of chocolate. Give me time. I'll color them. You know what I mean? But, uh, <laughs> but that was, that was great. I mean, Christ really transformed my life so much so that, um, 
In August of 1968, I was headed to Bible College, Baptist Bible College in Clark Summit, Pennsylvania. And and I actually remember praying as God worked on my heart to go to Bible College because I applied to three secular universities, accepted at three uh, secular universities, had scholarships and grants at three secular universities, and was the first one in my family to go to college. And um, when God dealt with my heart, I remember getting on my knees and praying and said, God, you want me to go to college in those hills? The college just moved down in, in Pennsylvania. And um, I said, the Ku Klux Klan may be down in those hills, you know, <laughs> but if you want me to go, I'll go. And so I did. And, and God was gracious. I, I met some great people there, including my wife. <laughs> and, uh, and, and, and I thank God for that. But, uh, you know, going down there, it was interesting because when I got there, there was two African-Americans and uh, one was a female. She left after six months. So I was the only African-American there uh, for a while and had some few Jamaicans. And um, it was an experience. I, I met some, and I keep saying white people and Ken Ham and I, we said on oh, white and black, you know, just got a little bit more melanin. Uh, so it's just, Shades yep. of hue, we call I call it, and so uh, of the lighter hue, you might say. There were kids there who never actually met and up close with a person of the darker hue. And I had one one uh, uh, student there. I was coming home from coming in from a f- soccer practice and and going to my dorm, and he stopped me and he said, uh, "Is that the way a nigger sweat?" You know, and I thought, "Whoa." hang on here. And I thought my first thought was, I'm going to show you how a nigga fights. And uh, the Holy Spirit got a hold of me and just say, settle down, settle down, you know, and which I did, I settled down and, and God took me through uh, that education. But one thing that, that really touched my heart, a gentleman who was, uh, I think, two grades behind me in, 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 in high school, extremely gifted athlete, uh, I think he probably could have made it in the pros in basketball, but we played ball together and he was of the darker hue and, and I took him to a youth meeting. He made a profession of faith in Christ. And then he told me later that he felt that God wanted him to come to Baptist Bible College, now Summit University, and play ball with me. And I thought, well, that's great. Is that what the Lord wants? Well, anyway, in the youth camp, the youth director, he was great ball players. All these girls who was around him and all this stuff. And youth director pulled him aside and said, you shouldn't be sitting next to the uh, girls of the light of hue. And so he came to me and I'm like, man, forget the girls. We're here for Jesus. Just don't worry about it. Well, it did get to him because he said he was coming to play ball but between the summer of his senior year uh, some black power advocates got to him. They were telling him Christianity is a white man's religion. And uh, he took what he was confronted about the girls of the light of hue, and he took that to say he was going to secular university and going to play ball. Long story short, he was there one month, broke his foot, dropped out of school, wound up in the city of Rochester, got involved with some lady, was on drugs, beat her up, wound up in jail. One of our friends called me and asked me just towards his release, said, have you heard about him? And I hadn't. And he said, he's in jail. He'll listen to you. Why don't you go talk to him? Well, it was three hours ride and I didn't have a car or anything. So I wrote him a letter. Only 
to later have uh, our friend call me up and say, well, man, did you hear what happened? Is that, is that he got out of jail, married a gal, they got in an argument, they had a pistol, went off, shot, and killed him. So he was about, I don't know, 19 years old, and I had a lot of thoughts about I should have went and visited him and all that. But, but it drove me to, to study the scriptures on what is supposed to be the relationship between people of different ethnic backgrounds. Because uh, as far as I was concerned, if so-called interracial marriage was against the Bible, I was going to stand with the Bible. But as I studied it in the Bible, I, I did a research paper, paper, and I came out and named it Prejudice and the People of God, which is also it's the title of the first book I wrote on this subject. And I came to the conclusion that God didn't want unsaved people marrying saved people, but he didn't have a problem with people of different ethnic backgrounds. And I wrote that paper in honor of my friend and my first book in honor of him thinking, and you know, you don't know, but thinking could have been different if he was embraced uh, rather than being single. Right. Well, tell us a little bit about how you first got involved in missions as well, because um, you have a very particular expertise in this area of ministry then. But what's the connection to ABWE? Well, my connection at ABWE, to go back to uh, Dr. Kempton, he, um, when I went to BBC, he was there. Uh, well, <laughs> let's go follow that. When I was in school, I was a senior trying to figure out where I was going and all this stuff. And 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 um, decided that I was going to secular university primarily because I had a friend uh, that wasn't saved and we were real close and I thought I might go win him to Christ. And Dr. Kempton said that God burdened him after coming to our church speaking and some people telling him about me. God burdened him to come visit me. He drove three and a half hours, came up. Asked the principal, could he talk to me before school was out? So I went in the car and I talked to him 15 minutes, I think, 10, 15 minutes. He asked me some questions. I know I remember a couple of questions. He asked me, did I know where I was going to college? I told him, yep. He said, did I ever consider Christian college? And I said, nope, not really. He said, do you know for sure that this is where God wants you to go? And I said, well, you know, my way is paid. You know, I'm accepted. I, I can't say he said, well, do you think God can let you know? And I said, well, yeah, God can do anything you want. So he said, would you pray with me one week that God will show you? And I said, sure. And he left, and I wasn't impressed at all. I thought, this man is a bad salesman. He drove three and a half hours <laughs> to go to college. <laughs> I'm going, I'm going <laughs> to where I was headed, Oswego State. And I actually told my friend that. But I did pray. And by the end of that week, God had convinced me he wanted me to go to Baptist Bible College in Clark Summit, Pennsylvania. And uh, Dr. Kempton became a close friend and mentor of mine. And um, I got exposed to ABW missionaries in, in numerous ways. And and uh, he invited me to come on the uh, advisory board after I started a church down in Scranton, Pennsylvania, and pastored that for a while. So that's the way I, I got involved with, with ABWE. Well, one of the things that I think was uh, most interesting, actually, I um, I first heard of you when my wife Hannah was working at ABWE, but when I was um, on staff at a local church, 
and she came home as she often did with with books um, that uh, she'd gotten for free. And, and she said, here, this is from a, one of the guys that I work with on our board. Um, he wanted you to have a copy. And I'm like, okay, I don't know who this is or what this is, but she hands me a copy of One Blood um, by Dr. Charles Ware and Ken Ham. And I'm like, oh, wow. Okay, I didn't know we had a board member who co-wrote a book with Ken Ham. So what was the uh, connection there? How did that book get started? You mentioned your first book, but tell us about One Blood. Yeah, it's One Race, One Blood. And and I've been speaking on this issue because uh, there's a lot of things I experienced as a Christian of the darker hue. And I was just thinking, wow, whoa, 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 wait a minute. We're supposed to be Christians working together here. And and this, this, this isn't coming down right. So I would speak to the issue at different times. And, and I was at a conference, a um, homeschoolers conference, and maybe it was Christian, no, Christian school conference. And I, there was this workshop going on and all these people were going in it. And I was a keynote speaker and I thought, well, who is this? And uh, the guy was preaching on one blood and, and I was, went, stuck my head in the door and, and it was Ken Ham, but he was speaking, he was, Sticking with the Bible, I thought, oh, this guy seems to be sticking with the Bible. I think I'll sit in here and see what he's got to say. And then he got down to interracial marriage. And I said, oh, yeah, now I really see how I want to stick with the Bible. <laughs> and he, he stuck with the Bible. I was impressed with that. And I was out here at, um, you know, uh, then Crossroads Bible College, now since we merged the College of Biblical Studies. And uh, we were doing some what we call multi racial ministry conferences, national conferences. So I invited uh, Ken to speak. He, t- he accepted that. And then he invited me to speak at uh, his, his answers in Genesis uh, situations. And then I was speaking at one of, one of his events and somebody from uh, uh, New Leaf Publishers came up to me and said, hey, we want to make a book proposal to you. You could write a book uh, or you could write one with Ken Ham." I said, that's a no-brainer. I'll write one. So we did. So we we did it. It was it was Darwin's plantation. You were talking about the name, why, you know, you like the other one, Darwin's plantation, their evolution, uh, racist roots. And what happened there was they were getting so much reaction from the title that people wouldn't read it. So they decided we'll change the title. So it was one race, one blood, but it was the same book. So uh, but God has used that. Well, I've never been the guy they're marketing towards. So <laughs> I mean, that, right. I, if anything, I would pick it up decision. for that. So can you talk a little bit about that? I'd love to hear what is the connection between Darwinism and racism that you kind of explore there? Yeah. In the book, we, we make it clear that uh, racism did not originate with Darwin. But what Darwin did was give a scientific philosophical rationale for racist thinking and beliefs. And so it really propelled uh, that thinking. So you, you get the whole idea that, that through natural selection, uh, life began and evolved. And I can remember when I was in high school, you know, you had these, these gradations of uh, coming from apes to humans and different mm-hmm. color of humans. And when you got to the real top, there was a Carcassoid or the white race or those of the lighter hue. So everybody under them were lesser. And so mm-hmm. that thinking spurred individuals to say, oh, yes, this is right. 
people of darker skin. They are dumber. They're closer to animals. Uh, they don't have the rights of human beings. And 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 even as Kim as uh, Ken puts in the book, some people actually went to Australia and hunted the Australian Aborigines as missing links. And they wanted to study their brain, actually kill some of them so that they could study uh, their brains. Um, so it, it, it really created an image of fellow human beings, created an image of God. It distorted that image so that people saw them as animals and less than humans. And that also fueled, uh, you know, I guess dead in consciences to slavery and, and other uh, things that was used to dehumanize uh, individuals. What's heartbreaking about that, you know, is certainly racism didn't, was, has been around much longer than than Darwin. Um, but how much of that language of Darwin is picked up in the church and uh, was picked up even if you look through church history in the 1800s and 1900s, uh, how much of it was seeped into Christian theology and just ex, just uh, explained as as very normal and uh, and consistent with Christianity, which in fact it's it's not right. Yeah, and that was really one of my passions that got me so deeply involved. As as I began to try to figure out, well, why are our churches so segregated? You know, I mean, if we if we're preaching Christ and those who come to Christ, we're one in Christ. Well, how come our church is so segregated? And as I went back into history, I was really disturbed because as I looked at battles over slavery, battles over segregation, battles over civil rights, it seemed to me that the more fundamental and evangelical the church was, the more apt it was to find biblical support for slavery, for segregation, and for uh, discrimination. And, and I was saying, whoa, 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 am I missing something here? And, and, and so that's what kind of drove me because of, 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 of you're right, the, the language of the evolutionists was, was sanctified, so to speak, by what I call um, a misinterpretation of texts such as the curse of, curse of Ham, misinterpretation of texts that led to a misapplication of the text that led to a misdirection of the church. And, and my passion is to say, because some attack that by saying the Bible isn't completely inerrant. The Bible uh, has errors in it. So we just need to get those verses out so that we can we can we can understand the Bible is a book, you know, and, and, and it's a human book, so on and so forth. But I say, no, no, uh, what you need is a proper interpretation of the text with a proper application of the text and a proper redirection of the church. And and so I don't give up, you know, the Bible and its authority and its inerrancy to address this issue. That's really good. I'd love you to talk more about that because racial reconciliation has been a really controversial issue over the last few years. It's been a, a point of division between a number of evangelicals. And a lot of it has to do with something that you said earlier, which I really enjoyed when you first heard Ken Ham, you're saying, hey, here's a guy who's just using the Bible. Yeah. Um, and I love that, you know, actually trusting scripture to be sufficient to address the issue of race and ethnicity. So how would you speak to that issue? You know, this method of just relying on the text of scripture, not having to go beyond that or to compromise on inerrancy? Yes. And the controversy comes up in a number of areas. You know, the big area right now is politics. 
um, you know, to some people, you cannot be saved and be a Republican. To other people, you cannot be saved and be a Democrat. And and the lines are drawn, and it's a Demonus lines. Uh, another area of uh, of uh, disagreement that spreads us out. Some people say, "Well, you're talking about race issue and social justice and all of that stuff. That's just that's just worldly uh, social talk, and it's a social gospel, or or it's distracting. The church shouldn't be in that uh, in that discussion at all." And and so you got to have those type of type of battles and and you just get this dim in us and 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 the, and one thing that really hurts and is difficult to deal with is what I said earlier and that's history mm. so much of what's been said today by people who are pushing for justice and and reparations and all that they are talking they are in one sense sort of bound by past history or blinded by past history they 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 will acknowledge some props. Well, some don't acknowledge any progress has been made. They said we have made no progress. Some would say, well, we are still suffering with the same inequities, so on and so forth. So what I'm trying to say to believers is simply this. God, some people have told me, brother, well, we just need to forget history. Forget history and let's move forward. If you forget history, you throw your Bible away. Mm. The Bible is primarily a historical book. That's why we say mm. we we want to interpret the scriptures grammatically, literally, and historically, because it was written at a time in history that predates us. And so that everything that, that you and I are basically applying and teaching, we have to go back in history, extract it, and then figure out how it applies to today. Figure out what it meant when it was written, and then how does it apply and relevant today? And if you read that book, and knowing it's a historical book, God does not forget history, good or bad. Mm-hmm. The, the, the thing that hits me about the Bible, that's why people say, well, a human being didn't write this book, because it doesn't give a glowing picture of humanity, not even of Israel, God's chosen people. So God gives us a way of looking at history, honestly, knowing that there's fallen humanity. And here's where you get into doctrine. The doctrine, number one, I tell people, bibliology. So we we believe in a, an inspired, inerrant text from the mouth of God himself through human beings. So so if we believe that, we need, we need to go to the Bible. Well, then the question is, so what's the Bible say about anthropology? Where did human beings come from? Everybody came from Adam and Eve. We're all related. When we all have value because we were created in the image of God. That's taught throughout the Bible. Furthermore, mm-hmm. the Bible teaches homotheology, our sinfulness. We are a sinful People And there is no group of people whose history could be rightly understood that will not include sin. We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But proper theology also includes soteriology. We can all be saved through belief in the death, burial, and resurrection of Lord Jesus Christ. And one little humorous thing here, I got a call on the radio once from a guy, and he was a white nationalist. and. And, 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 and he wouldn't even talk to me. He talked to the host of the show and he said, we know where white people came from. White people came from Adam. We don't even know where black people came from. 
So what do you guests got to say about that? To which I said, Romans 5.12 is clear that, um, that, uh, that from one man, that's Adam, uh, people came and death came through that one man. And death passed upon all, and all of sin. If only white people came from Adam, then only white people are sinners. You know, so he didn't like that. Two-edged sword there. <laughs> but, yeah, it gets kind of ridiculous after a while. But, mm-hmm. but I say, no, we believe that all of sin, but we also believe that there's one universal solution. His name is Jesus Christ. Mm. And everybody needs Jesus Christ, and we proclaim that gospel— and when people get saved, it brings us into ecclesiology. Jew and Gentile have been made one. Every believer is part of the body of Christ. Now, we can sort out doctrine and morality and all of that, but the church is not made up of any one ethnic group. Mm. The church is made up of people who've been redeemed by the blood of Christ. We are brothers. We're sisters. We're in one family. We're headed to one heaven. Heaven will not be segregated, nor will hell. I tell people, you're all going to get together somewhere. So we need to prepare for that. I mean, this is all biblical doctrine. So, so people say, well, well, we don't want justice. We don't well, people crying for social justice. We don't want justice. No, God ordained government to restrain sin. His desire biblically is that we do the right thing because we got right doctrine that transforms us to do right living. But if that doesn't work, he's got the family to try to restrain us. If that doesn't work, he's got the government. It is to be a terror to evildoers and a praise to those who do good. Sometimes I hear us talk, make these statements so glibly, you know, like, We don't need no laws. We just need the gospel. Well, the the fact of the matter is, Jesus said, most people won't get saved. He said, broad is the way that leads to destruction. And many will you find there. So most people will not be restrained by the gospel. So we need the law. That's what Paul argues in 1 Timothy 1, that the law isn't made for, for, for people who are living by sound doctrine. But it is a restrainer. I mean, what would it sound like if, if, if we said, you know, people are raping, raping women on our street every day? I mean, you know, nine out of 10 women are being raped. And we said, well, ain't nothing we can do. We just preach the gospel. They don't get saved. They just have to leave them out to the rape. No, the law can restrain that. Martin Luther King Jr. said, the law can't make you love me, but it can stop you from hanging me. And, and God wants righteousness. God doesn't want partial. I mean, the Bible from the Old Testament, New Testament, partiality and judgment is sin. If anybody holds the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ with respect to person, it is sin. And, and as Christians, we, can't, we can vote and we can speak to the law, but we, once it's there, it's there. We got to live with what we got. But to say that we are just, you know, we ain't worried about that. And, and then how do we respond when we've got child abuse in our, in our, in our churches that's been hidden? How do we respond when, 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 when the church is guilty of racism and treating people inhumanely? I mean, these things, sad to say, many of them, it took the law to bring us to our senses. The gospel didn't seem to do that. It should have, but it didn't. 
When we don't train our people to see that the gospel isn't just for unbelievers, but for all of life, including the life of the believer, we actually frustrate their ability to share the gospel with unbelievers. If we're not daily applying the gospel to our life, then we only think about the gospel in those moments where we think to evangelize. And it always has this sort of mechanical sales pitch feel to it because we don't think about it every day and we don't see how it applies to everyday life. That was the voice of Jared C. Wilson of For the Church and Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. If you're hungry for more, why not join us at the For the Church Conference September 23rd through 24th in Kansas City. We're giving away two free tickets to loyal listeners. Enter now at missionspodcast.com slash giveaway, and we'll see you there. Let me tell you a story about Abdul. As a teenager in a refugee camp, Abdul lived in a world of uncertainty. After a successful operation on his colon, he should have recovered, but he lost the will to live. And morning after morning, as he lay dying, he heard the voices of nurses beside his bed singing during their morning Bible study. Hospital workers serving with ABWE sat by Abdul's bedside, sharing stories of the Bible with him. But one day, Abdul was talking with a member of the team, and suddenly God opened his eyes, and he asked excitedly, tell me about Jesus. In the subsequent weeks, he began to smile. He started to eat, regaining his strength. He devoured every story everyone could tell him from the Bible. Abdul had been saved. Now Abdul is back in the refugee camp sharing the gospel with his family and friends. Well, you may have noticed that I didn't mention what country Abdul is living in. That's because we can't for security purposes. About 10% of ABWE's missionaries serve in parts of the world that we can't even mention by name. ABWE's Global Gospel Fund supports workers in limited access countries by providing security expertise, mobilizing those who seek to serve, and training new missionaries. Through the Global Gospel Fund, you can support a thousand missionaries with one gift. Please become a Global Gospel Fund partner. Go to abwe.org slash global gospel fund. That's abwe.org slash global gospel fund. You've seen in your life obviously a lot of changes. I mean, you've lived, you were born into the Jim Crow era. You were alive during the civil rights movement. You talked about coming to Christ in 1968. You know, th- those are pivotal years um, in the civil rights you know, movement. Um, you even shared a lot of your own experiences. You've seen a lot of things happen over the course of your life in regard to this issue of race and racism and racial reconciliation. What are you seeing happening in the churches um, and in society at large? And and what do you see as a solution to seeing racial reconciliation being something that's really happening? And obviously, let, let's just say even the, in the church, um, regard, you know, obviously society is going in one direction. But for Christians, uh, what are you seeing there? And what would what do you see as the solution to the lack of reconciliation that might exist? Well, first of all, let me say that I've seen progress. And, you know, some people say there's no progress. So back when I began to speak on this subject, you couldn't speak. I mean, it's almost like it was a four-letter four word. You know, people mm-hmm. don't want to hear it. You know, they get it out of here. Now, groups are discussing. Groups are saying, like Southern Baptist books out, re- removing the stain of racism. You know, so so these discussions are going on. They're heated. They're, they're, you know, sometimes divisive, but there are, there are people acknowledging at least, no, here's what the Bible teaches on this. We're mm. not doing what the Bible teaches. Uh, now, how we get there, we can argue about that, uh, so on and so forth. But, but there are changes. People are speaking more. People are, are speaking to it. Majority people from the majority and people from the minority groups are speaking. Here's a couple of things that, that 
that I seek to do through grace relations. I tell people I rather talk about grace, God's reconciliation at Christ's expense, grace relations rather than race relations. Number one, I keep in my mind that this is a global problem and it's a heart problem. With the Hutus and Tutsis to most people look alike. They're both of the darker hue. Yet 900,000 people were killed, you know, in, 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 in ethnic uh, war. We got stuff going on. You know, you got Germany, you got uh, Cambodia, you got all of these places where massacre right. was done. Uh, so, so it's a heart problem and not just an American problem. I keep that in my mind. Another thing that, that helps me is I go back when I look at history, I do look for abolitionists. I look for people who fought against segregation. I look for people who fought in the civil rights, who were of the lighter hue. Uh, I, I remind those of us of the darker hue, you, you never would have got where you are unless there were some people of the lighter hue who sided with the truth. Now, they may not have been a majority, and you can argue about that, but we fought a civil war. Um, we've gone through a lot of, a lot of changes. So I, I remind myself that God has a remnant in every generation. Third thing for me now, this and a lot of people don't agree with this one, but it, to me, it, it's part of what I just said uh, there a moment ago. I do not believe that all people of the light of hue are racist. That's a very charged word. Some people are, but I don't believe they all are. And I, and I separate people out as I meet them and talk to them because I do find a lot of people of lighter hue are ashamed of the past, want to make a change today, want to be involved. Many times, the only way we can have that discussion from a minority's point of view is you need to admit you are racist. And when you admit you're racist, then we can talk. And so the argument, I'm a racist, no, I'm not a racist, so on and so forth, and many times it doesn't get anywhere. So my thing is, people who want to obey God, how can we find us and us solutions? Because those discussions are them and us, them and us. And I remind myself that those of the darker hue have not only been hurt by people of the lighter hue, but they've been hurt by people of the darker hue. You even go back to slavery in, in Africa, there were... African tribes captured other African tribes and sold them into slavery. And uh, even in this country, uh, I mean, some of the stuff that's going on in, 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 in urban neighborhoods is black on black crime. Um, and so I say, you know, sin gets us all. So let's find that group of people who want to do right and let's talk us and us so that, as the Bible says, we will honor one another, prefer one another before ourselves. Let's find out what it means to forgive one another and to unite together to bring the gospel and a holistic message to people in need. I think that is so desperately needed, us and us, grace-filled conversations that brings united groups together to advance the cause of Christ. I love the way that you articulated all of that. And I love that you uh, distinguished the roles of the different spheres that God's created, the family, the church, and the government. Because I think oftentimes in some of these conversations, we sort of conflate them all together. Um, but when we distinguish and recognize 
you know, it's, it's the role of uh, the family to do certain things. It's the role of the church to bring the gospel to bear and, and to see hearts change. But then it's the role of the civil magistrate to uh, restrain those things, which the law of God calls uh, not just sins, but crimes and worthy of punishment. And I, I think recognizing those things could, uh, could go a long way, but I'd like to drill a little bit deeper and just, you know, I, I think in a lot of ways we live in a day and age in which obviously nobody wants to be called a racist, right? And within the larger prevailing secular uh, culture right now, to be called a racist is pretty much the worst thing that one can be called. And so what would you say then, uh, since since nobody, at least publicly in the media, has a hard time at least recognizing that racism in theory is reprehensible, what's the difference between a, a biblical repudiation of racism and the secular repudiation of racism? Well, one of the differences is what you just said is definition. You know, what What are you talking about? You know, you looked at me funny. You're a racist. Uh, you, you accidentally said a word uh, wrong, so you're a racist. Or I saw you sitting with somebody, so you're a racist. Uh, you, you believe in uh, this policy, so you're a racist. I think that, that the problem with, with all of that is the definition is, is hard to nail because basically there's one book that argues everybody would like to hear as a racist. You know, it's, it's because you're privileged. So racism is that you're privileged, you're gaining as a white person in this in this country. So I, the, what I look biblically, when I'm talking about racism, I'm talking about person like Peter, who who had a respect of persons. And mm-hmm. he says that God has shown me not to call any human being a common or unclean. God mm-hmm. has shown me that he is no respecter of persons. And that's a hard issue and sometimes hard to get to, but sometimes you can see it. Person think they're superior. Other people are inferior. They try to make laws to that effect. They speak to that effect, so on and so forth. That's your racist. To me, there are people who are prejudiced. They have prejudged what they've seen on media, what they've had in their experience. And by the way, a hardcore racist does not change because you give them information. That doesn't mean anything. Mm. They, they don't change. A prejudiced person who's prejudged, if you gave them information, they go, oh, wow, I, I was wrong. I was wrong. So, 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 so yeah, let me adjust to, to the facts here. And that's where relationships will help them Correct view of history will help them. Good biblical teaching. See, just teaching the Bible doesn't necessarily change a person. Jonah had good theology, but he had a bad heart. (laughs) He told God to begin with, that's why I didn't want to go to Nineveh, because I thought you'd pull a stunt like this. And uh, so there are people, you know, they got good theology, but their hearts are not there. And you got to deal with that. And that's be more racist. So you prejudice people. I got people perplexed. They just don't know what to do. They don't know what to call you. They don't know what to say. They they don't want to offend. They're nervous around you in a different group. And then there are people I call protective. They're just trying to protect their kids. They know in this society, if their kids get in an interracial relationship, whether it's marriage or, or deeply friendships, there are people in their sphere of friends or family who would hurt somebody else. So they're trying to protect their kids. And then I, I have what I call for Christians, people who are positioned. There are still people who believe that the Bible teaches interracial marriage is sin. 
and 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 some of them believe that America is a Christian nation, and we got to protect America at all costs. Um, you know, it, it's like you've conflated politics and the rule of Christ. And, and so these things, I figure you got to sort those out and then ask yourself, where do you have influence? As you said, how do I control my tongue? How do I control my heart? How do I speak to my family? And how do I make my church what Jesus said, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples, in that you have love one for another. How do we demonstrate that as a people in our mm-hmm. church? How do we put a voice into our community for good government, for good laws? We need to speak to it, whether whether we get it or not, our voices should be heard because we're citizens. So you, you kind of hinted at even within the American church, there's this idea of, of protecting, you know, um, America and, and this this idea it kind of leads into our discussion about missions. How, how have you seen? I know you've traveled all over the world. You've been involved in missions in a leadership level for many years. What are some ways that you've seen uh, this issue affecting um, ministry on the mission field overseas? Even well, you know, in the past and with some now, but I, I do uh, would say ABWE has made great progress in this. It was almost missionaries needed to be needed. And because of that, some were very slow to empower nationals. Nationals is always looked at as inferior, not able, spiritually not there. Even when some nationals had more education than the missionaries, even have come to America to get that education and return home, they were not deemed mature enough or worthy of leadership. That, that to me, comes out of a, a racist philosophy from the past. It's sort of floating in. In fact, one missionary told me that we had a Bible college on a, on a, in another country, and he says, I was teaching. So when I taught church history, I taught American church history as though that country had no church history. He said, I didn't even think about it. I just the way I did it. So, so, so you've got those type of things going on, the the whole empowerment thing. You also have in these countries, some of them have similar battles that we do. I was in South Africa in 2017, participating in a conference called um, Racism When Color Divides. And in South Africa, some blacks in leadership, government leadership, one was possibly a presidential, um, whatever the prime minister candidate. But anyway, he was calling for the confiscation of farms from whites and the killing of whites. And there was a lot of unrest. And I was asking myself the question, if I was pastoring in South Africa and I had a multi-ethnic church and there were people of the lighter hue in my church, what would I do to help them feel secure? They they're dealing with this. How do you get? How do you get? How do you get? How do you get the Africans and the Zulus mm. and and the colors uh, together over mm. there? Is the I, I was in Thailand in two thousand four with uh, Lazan's meeting, and they broke us up into groups. And my group had about forty eight people in it, and we had to study the question: Can is the gospel powerful enough? to evangelize and reconcile 
different tribal, um, race, racial caste groups, all the division. Is the gospel powerful enough to redeem and reconcile people from these groups? We had a saved Palestinian, a saved Israeli, white South African, black South African. I mean, you know, we had all of there. And, and, and I'm telling you, it was a, it was an eye opening week we spent together sharing our stories and, and asking ourselves, is this, and that's what every missionary has got to believe that our gospel is powerful enough to save and transform individuals created in the image of God, transformed by the spirit of God to create a new humanity called the church where we love one another. Mm. You know, I, I saw this firsthand um, when we were serving in Asia, working with two different people groups that really in the in the culture could not stand each other. They distrusted each other so deeply and fundamentally. And um, and it, a lot of it was some, some similar situations of what's happened in America, where a uh, majority people group was was dominating a minority people group and had had exploited them and, and hurt, harmed them very deeply. And so between individuals, there was deep distrust. And, um, and I remember, you know, talking at a, at a conference is with, with other missionaries who were discussing this issue, who none of them were a part of either of these races or uh, these ethnicities and, and cultural backgrounds. And it was, you know, thought and loudly spoken, like, no, one group, this one group can't reach this other group. And yet I saw some of the most profound examples of evangelism in this unreached people group where when the minority or the majority culture people who then ended up humbling themselves, learning the culture, learning the language and going humbly to those, this minority people, uh, when they, and it, they weren't immediately well received. In fact, they were abused mm. and treated badly mm. and distrusted. But when they overcame that with love and consistency and time, mm. um, that some of those, uh, missionaries were actually some of the most fruitful ones, mm. um, because they could see the, the, the lost, the unreached could see that the gospel had must have changed their hearts because they've never met a person in that situation act like that. And, uh, um, that was just from my own experience. I'm just, you know, as we wrap this up, what, why would you say that a missionary needs to have a biblically grounded and rooted, uh, understanding of, of uh, the image of God and of, of race and ethnicity in order to be an effective missionary? Well, let me um, start off by saying that you gave a beautiful example of what I say. We need more PC in the church. That's not political correctness. That's Peter and Cornelius. They, mm. they both individually had a meeting with God that humbled them. That, so when they came together, very unlikely in this sociological situation, but God had both had prepared them both and for humility. And then when you speak about a missionary need, my basic belief is that what we're trying to do is get people to love God with their whole heart, soul, and mind and love their neighbors themselves. You get that down, that's going to take care of a lot of your problems. But we won't love God or love our neighbor until we understand the incredible love God has for us. As missionaries, we've got to see ourselves as undone, as unworthy. But Christ died for us. He saved us. The Spirit of God indwells us. He's transforming us. And it's because of his love for us that we're demonstrating that love for others. 
And the critical question when I look at another person is, how does Christ see them? Is my eyes seeing like Christ? Is my heart pumping like Christ? Is my hands moving like Christ? Is my feet moving like Christ? Paul said, I become all things to all men in order that I might win not all, but some. And every missionary needs that that passion. Wherever they go, they need to understand that culture. As Paul was saying, different culture groups, I became as one of them in order that I might clearly communicate the gospel of them in order that I might win some. That, that to me, is critical for every missionary. And then I also think John 13, uh, 34 and 35, Christ did not command his disciples to change their ethnicity, to change the color of their skin, to change anything like that. But he did command them to love, which is a command to us. And then said, this will really help your evangelistic efforts. People will know that you're my disciples because they see your love one for another. No more powerful marketing tool for a missionary than that. Thank you, Dr. Ware. There's obviously so much more that we could talk about on this topic and I feel like we just maybe didn't even scratch the surface. But if people wanted to talk, engage more with you, uh, to reach out to you, to find uh, more of what you've written and talked about, how could they do that? You can log in to my website at gracerelations.net. You can go on to our Facebook page, Grace Relations, or you can email me at gracenotrace at gmail.com. Gracenotrace at gmail.com. Yes. Well, thank you so much. I'm sure a lot of our listeners are going to want to reach out to you and connect and grab your book and uh, and really think deeply. I hope they do think deeply about this topic uh, because there are so many uh, important um, connections as we really are doing ministry and missions oftentimes um, across ethnicities, across cultures, and to really understand what the Bible says about these things is so critical. So thank you so much for your time and uh, God bless you. Thank you, brother. Keep up the good work. If you want to get more great content on theology, missions, and practice, go to missionspodcast.com. And while you're there, subscribe in iTunes, Google Play, or your favorite listening platform. And please give us an honest review and a five-star rating. And don't forget to be sending your questions to alex at missionspodcast.com. Until next time, thank you for joining us.